Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news, reviews, and playthroughs. And today, we are reviewing Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition, Crisis. So, uh, what's up, Mike? I'm Peter. <laughs> hey. I'm Mike. How are y'all doing? Good to good to see you. And yeah, happy to talk about this one. I definitely reinvigorated my interest in solo co-op play, specifically for Ares Expedition. Well, yeah. I mean, let, let's be honest. There was a solo in the base box, but I don't even remember how to play it. But I remember it not being wonderful. It was. I mean, from what I remember, it's a race to fully terraform the planet, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk about how this is different, but we are going to get into some other things, including our design discussion, which we will have at the end, which is going to be on putting out fires and different ways that games deal with that and why they're necessary, I think, is a, a really important part of this discussion as well. Yeah, and also why I get bored with them a lot, because that's frequently, depending on how it's done, a type of game that I do not enjoy <laughs> these days. Wait, which type of game don't you enjoy? Like, like the, games with putting out fires, like uh, I often call them pandemic style games, you know, crisis management games, whatever you want to call them. A lot of those don't appeal to me and there's different reasons why. All right. Well, you and I are going to be on opposite ends of this fight then. I, I mean, know, I ma- maybe it'll be a design fight. This will be like not a discussion. <laughs> this will be like Lord of the Rings versus Marvel Champions versus like. No, it's uh, definitely not to that extent. <laughs> Versus Arkham Horror, yeah. So we have some people in the chat. We got uh, Vincent Savard. Welcome, Vincent. Ryan Picklesimer. Uh, and Tara Smith. And Tara, I am sorry to hear about your dog, but I am glad we are here to help take your mind off of it. So Sorry. <laughs> but if you hear dogs in the background, it's because my family is away, and it's just me at home. And so sometimes the dogs get a little lonely upstairs, and they're, they might actually howl. Like, like... For real, legit, like, howling, like, you know, wolves howling at the moon or whatever. But, yeah, so if you hear some dogs howling, I apologize up front. All right, Mike, well, I I said I got a list of stuff I've been playing, which is very odd for me. Normally, I don't play a lot of stuff, but uh, did you want to go first, or you want me to start with my list? I can go first, because mine's pretty quick. The one I've been playing the most is kind of uh, gave me some obsession for about a week, is Threads of Fate. It's on crowdfunding right now. It's by Post Curious, so it's sort of an escape roomy like riddle game. I previously covered uh, the Light in the Mist from them, and I loved that one. That was like a tarot riddle game, like tarot cards. This one is a much chonkier, like big box with multiple chapters and like really cool physical manipulatives. Um, I'll be doing a review Sunday. I, I just finished the whole thing after many hours. <laughs> Over the course of like five days, I just finished it yesterday. My son was there when I finished, and he was like super into it. Well, I, don't, I won't spoil anything, but uh, yeah, it, it, cool stuff it happens. Yes, I mean I'll have a full review on Sunday, but in in general, uh, if you like, you know, unlock escape roomy kind of things, this is tougher than the average one, and it's very long and epic. But I think it's great. So that's Threads of Fate. Besides so, that, well, hold on, yeah, let, yeah, let, let me ask some questions. So, is this a one-time play game? Yeah, so it's it's like I said, it's like unlock, it's like exit, except it's um it's again it's like four chapters, and even within each chapter there's seven or eight like main riddles to solve. So are so, each of those chapters about an hour or No no no. Depends on how many they have a great hint system. It doesn't matter how many hints you use. So I know I needed to finish by the end of the week because the crowdfunding campaign's already going and I don't want to wait too long. 
So I used hints pretty liberally whenever I got kind of stuck for a little while. And even with that, I think the entire thing, all four chapters, was a bit over 12 hours for me, 13 oh hours. <laughs> all right. Yeah, so this, this is like an epic experience. This is not throw and unlock around with your family for a little bit. Is My it- family sort of like drifted in and out. Yeah. My son would sit down and do like a single puzzle with me for a while. My wife, I would like bring her over because it was like in her area of expertise. That actually worked really well. But yeah, it's it's definitely a commitment if you're gonna get like a whole group to try to solve it. That would be like multiple sessions across like multiple days. Is it easy to tear down and put away, or did oh, yeah, you, yeah, absolutely. you just have to leave it um, set up? Or yeah. it, it reminds me a bit of Deckscape. Okay. In that, so each of like the chapters will have a bunch of riddles that pretty much a, a few times it's like kind of more linear, but generally speaking, they're uh, they can kind of be solved absent of each other. So like. You could have one person working on this and somebody else working on that. But mostly it's just pieces of paper and other like physical things. They have like a list of what should go in each envelope in a couple of different places. So it's easy to like put things back. It's good. Yeah. Um, okay. And remind me of the name of that one again. Threads of Fate. It's Threads on of Fate. Kickstarter right now. Cool. Well, you introduced me to a trick-taking game last time we were together. Solo only. I have a lot yeah. of show and tell here. So for Northwood... Uh, if you're joining us on the YouTube channel, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you're on the podcast. It's just tell and tell. Uh, in that situation. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> uh, so for Northwood is a trick-taking game, but it is... Uh, so it's a solo trick-taking game, which sounds real weird. And the way you play sounds even weirder because you are literally just flipping up a card and you are playing a card from your hand to either win or not win that trick. But the real key to the game is... Like, there are, what, one through eight tricks, one through nine tricks, something like that, that you have one, to one play? One through zero through seven. Okay, so your goal is to win zero through seven tricks, and you pick, looking at your hand before you start, and you pick which number of tricks you want to win, and then you have certain special powers and things like that as well that you can use to try to take those tricks, and you decide which ones you kind of want to take with you, and as you win, like, certain areas then you get more special powers that you can possibly take with you but those will be like one-time use uh special powers so i don't know overall very neat uh i've only played it that one time with you mike so um (laughs) yeah yeah, no i have not played it since but well i don't know no i did finish a full round of it i don't remember if you stayed for the full round or not but yeah no i got you going and probably stayed for about half and then i left Okay, so I did finish a full game of it, and uh, I love trick-taking games, and it satisfied that itch for a solo game, which I didn't even think was possible. So, super fun. Yeah, it's it's a cool one. I'll throw in a couple more, and then I know you have a bunch. We played Wonderland's War Competitive, um, which normally wouldn't belong on the channel. But uh, yeah, I I, I bought a copy on Facebook because the new printing has not delivered yet. So it's hard to find right now. And it's a uh, victory point, like fighting factions kind of area control game. But you're bag building. And then in sort of Quacks of Quedlinburg style, when you go into battle, you're picking uh, tokens one at a time and pushing your luck for how far you want to go. I found the mechanics great. I think, Peter, you and I agreed that, uh, and this is a common thing I've heard about the game, it's maybe a little bit longer than you want it to be, especially on the first play. So I think it was like three hours (laughs) with learning the game. Yeah. But yeah, the, the main reason I got it, well, besides just wanted to try it, is people have requested on other YouTube videos when I've done solo variants for me to do a solo variant for that one. So I've got one basically designed, but not tested at all yet. So I'm sure it'll change or just fall apart and not work at all. <laughs> 
but uh, in my mind, the ideas are good. So, you know, stay tuned. Maybe there will be a Wonderlands War solo variant video uh, coming someday. Yeah, it was like a longer, more complex Quacks of Quedlinburg, but I also liked it better for some reason. I'm not sure why. I mean, I would say a lot of the game doesn't feel like Quacks. Like, yes, what you are doing is technically similar to Quacks of Quedlinburg, but it's not the same as Quacks of Quedlinburg. Well, just the um, second part of the game, because there's a whole first part of the game where you're, like, drafting right. these cards, which is drafting the chips into your bag. I guess you kind of do that in Quacks, but it's a much quicker and less interactive phase in Quacks, whereas here it's definitely more interactive racing to get stuff. And you have special powers, which you don't really have in Quacks as well. So there, there were definitely some... Uh, substantial differences, obviously, because it's an area control game instead of whatever, so you're doing these battles. But... Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see what you can do as a solo mode for it. Yeah, I mean, what I'm trying to do is like an Atoma that you can have two of in a solo game or one of in a two player game because two players where they like kind of do variants. And I thought our three player game worked fine. So three players seems to be like the kind of agreed upon sweet spot. Yep. And then I guess finally, I'll just mention I've been playing a ton of Arkham Horror LCG, the card game. Oh, nice. So if people haven't seen on the YouTube channel, I've started doing a, a series reviewing each of the campaigns in sort of a random order. I started with the Forgotten Age, which I think is the fourth campaign, I think. And then I, I went back to the beginning with Night of the Zell at the core game campaign. So now I'm going to do Dunwich probably next month and then Carcosa and kind of go from there. But yeah, it's, it's giving me an excuse to play my favorite game because usually I don't play it because I That's got so many new things to cover. Yes. <laughs> and also uh, they sent me a new like one-off scenario called Fortune and Folly, which is in a casino. And one of the cooler parts, Peter, I think you might like this, is that you can like play poker and Baccarat and, uh, and roulette and all these things. And how it works is all the encounter cards have uh, suits uh, and values, just like a poker deck. Oh, nice. And and you're like, so like if you're playing poker, you flip up five encounter cards, and you're trying to get like bet- a three, or kind, three of a kind or better. And then you can do like a mulligan and discard some and redraw. And then you have like powers that can mitigate it and stuff. So it's kind of fun. And like, it's interesting because it's one of the few things where you can kind of progress in the game without your character's skills and the chaos bag being involved yep. since they moved it to the encounter deck. So it was interesting. I, I was playing a two handed game and sometimes one of my characters wouldn't have as much to do like mission wise, but it's always helpful to like gamble. Like, to gamble, like <laughs> Yes, yeah, it I is. <laughs> just like in real life. Always a good idea to gamble. But yeah, uh, th- there's like uh, specific benefits you gain from gambling, uh, no matter like whether you're winning or losing. So I appreciated that. It kind of gave like all the characters interesting things to do each turn. So is it like it's a also super one of, long mission? It's a double mission. Okay. Now they do have ways to play one or the other, but it is like a two part mission. Basically, it's 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 fun. It's a uh, it's a heist film you know like oceans 11 that kind of yep. thing so the first mission is casing the joint you're not supposed to get into combat nothing like super crazy well i don't want to spoil too much but nothing super crazy happens but there's like tons of different objectives you can fulfill and depending on which ones you do and other choices you make the second mission is going to be a little different and then that one has a lot of different ways to go so yeah i i, I really dug it I'm, I'm gonna have a video up actually tomorrow or if you listen to the podcast it's already up um, and I did start with a spoiler-free review at the beginning of the video, and then I get into all the spoiler stuff. So if you just want to know how the expansion is and not... Uh, so did not you play the first or second mission on your... Dude, I did both. It was three and a half hours of filming. <laughs> and even with my aggressive editing, you know, people say I, I edit too much and talk too fast. Even with my aggressive editing, it's an hour and a half video. It's like the longest video I've done in probably a year or more. Oh, my goodness. Um, 
And God, I was messing up so many rules by the end of the second scenario because I was so tired and I couldn't see straight. So I was like, I forgot to do that. Oh, whoops, I forgot to do this. So it's an interesting video, but I think it's still pretty entertaining. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. First of all, it's interesting that you described it as a one mission scenario when you're basically describing two different missions. I mean, that's the way all of Arkham works, right? Even if it's eight missions, it's still one story. Like, are you leveling up between them? So you you don't level up between. We kind of do, but you don't. But it's mostly the same locations. It's the same encounter deck. You're the same characters, of course. So yeah, it's more of a two-parter than anything else I've seen in Arkham. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, Because you're literally going back to the casino, but some of the locations flip, so they're slightly different in their powers and how things work. And then you go to a different part of the board that you don't see in the first part. And then some new encounters get added to the old encounter, so it does change up. So, so they do a nice job like not making it boring. But yeah, it's it's a cool one. And, and yeah, I, I was saying uh, this is one of the most non-violent friendly scenarios I can remember. Okay. Um, don't get me wrong. At some point, it's probably going to be useful to be able to punch or shoot a guy, but uh, <laughs> or, or maybe not a guy. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Uh, well, I'll, it's I'll it's Arkham. Hard. It's probably yeah, it's Arkham Hard, exactly. Yeah, it's but, probably not a living um, person. It's probably something. Yeah, from and beyond. probably like I, I brought two fairly non-violent characters in my playthrough in the video. And probably there would have been parts that might be a little bit easier if I did have like a giant machete. But it, 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 some things were successful with me not firing a shot or punching anybody. So it's, it's pretty neat how they kind of uh, change up the scenario from other ones. Well, you know me. I like characters that are like stealth and dodgy and like just dodge away yeah, and they, run to the other they, side. They, of they board. can really work well in this one. And there's some really cool, again, not spoiling anything, but there's some really cool like tactical positioning because uh, people like patrol regularly in different ways. And you can avoid them if you're smart about it. And then, like, later on, something comes out that kind of changes up how you do your actions. I'll stop there. But it was great. Anyway, I'm talking too much. I was supposed to have the, the smaller number of games. Why don't you go for a bit? Well, yeah, and I don't have that much to do. So speaking of card games, though, Terrence and I have decided to not just stream Marvel Champions on Fridays. We're still going to stream quite a bit of it, but we're getting into a bunch of different card games, including Lord of the Rings, which I'm actually playing this Friday. So uh, for those of you who are looking for something tomorrow night, I am streaming it. So obviously recording this Thursday for people on the podcast. It should already be up, but I'm not streaming with Terrence because Terrence is out of town. So I'll be streaming with Steve from the channel. So you probably recognize him from the podcast. Uh, Steve and I will be doing the first two ever scenarios put out for Lord of the Rings. Um, oh, wait. So, so the uh, the like spiders and the trolls, right? Yep. Exactly. Yep. We're going to do those first two scenarios just as like an intro for myself now. But to be honest, the reason it's in my has been played list is I did go ahead and I just net decked a list. I just looked on some of the most popular lists and I looked for something very specific that I was looking for. And I found something similar to what I would have put together. But since I don't know any of the card pool at all, it saved me a bunch of time. So I will be playing that deck as I play through the first couple missions. So I'm excited to play it. It's actually not as, and maybe it's because I played so much Marvel Champions, it's not as hard to remember what to do as I thought it would be. Like, you're really just committing to the quest, deciding if you want to go on a side quest, and then, like, fighting some stuff. And that's, and then rinse and repeat, and you do it over and over again. It'll be interesting to see, uh, I'm curious if you'll like Lord of the Rings better after playing Marvel Champions a ton. Because I, I, I mean, maybe you disagree with me, but I think there's more in common between Lord of the Rings and Marvel than between either of them and Arkham. Yes, I agree with that. Like Arkham is very much a board game. Yes. You know what I mean? In a lot of ways, whereas both of them are much more like 
ally and card management as you try to achieve certain things and like well right defend effectively and all that and you're fighting and going on quests and both of them like there are a lot of similarities you're you're exhausting cards to attack or defend yeah they can't do both i mean there's quite a few similarities between the two games still for me marvel champions we'll see how i feel at the end but I i feel like a hero there Whereas in Lord of the Rings, you're kind of controlling a party of people, which doesn't quite feel the same to me. Now you're doing more adventuring and stuff, but people say that, but really you're just exhausting characters to like, you know, (laughs) like do whatever, put quest tokens on things. So I don't know that I feel like I'm adventuring yet, but we'll see. We'll see if it uh, grows on me the more I play it. But I will say I'm having more fun playing it than I have before. Partially, I think, because I found a deck that is fun to play, which is always going to be the case. But the other I mean, part- that, that's what got me into it again, because I had bought into it a bunch when it first came out, just because I love Lord of the Rings so much. And then it, it, the system was not exciting for me, and the deck construction wasn't a place that felt interesting yet. But yeah, Colin like built a great deck for me, and we played online. It was a blast, and that, got, that sucked me back in, and I played it for a while. I still feel, and you know, I know Steve would disagree with me, so y'all can talk about this tomorrow. I still feel like Lord of the Rings is the least friendly out of the gate. Sure. I think Marvel is playing with the set things, and even Arkham playing with set things, like in the core, I think is pretty straightforward. And it's not, you know, Arkham's third scenario can be pretty nasty without some uh, more advanced build. <laughs> it, it can still be the third scenario in Arkham's core campaign can be pretty nasty. But it's still pretty beatable, I think, out of the core, whereas Lord of the Rings needs, like, very specific, like, build to beat, like, the third scenario and is not well-balanced for player count and stuff, so... Well, yes, certainly for solo, but I I think, as with everything, they've got better as they've designed. We have to remember that it is the original design. Yeah, it's the first co-op one they did, absolutely. So, certainly they learned lessons, and... Lord of the Rings got way better from everything I've seen as they went along. So they, they learned their own lessons yeah. even well, and to apply to that. They've had issues with Marvel Champions, too. Galaxy's Most Wanted being the second campaign that came out was by far the hardest thing that they've put out to date even now. You know, and it wasn't very beatable at the time. I mean, it certainly could have been beat, but not with the base characters out of the box that they gave you. And probably not just if you own the core set and Galaxy's Most Wanted. You probably have to beef up your deck with with other stuff. I'm sure somebody going to prove me wrong and you know ha- has been able that's what, to that's what somebody did with lord of the rings he was like he beat like every scenario with one deck and it's like all right well good job dude <laughs> yeah but at the same time you know that's on standard mode too the nice part for marvel champions is standard it was actually beatable and playable but when you went to expert which is where a lot of us were playing it became very very difficult um which is yeah. what you want though i mean you want to be able to, to vary that difficulty. So anyway. And, and, and Lord of the Rings fairly early on retroactively added like an easier mode. They they identified certain like encounter cards as extra hard. You would remove those when you played basically so you wouldn't get the nastiest of the nasty effects hitting you. I played a few times like that. It actually made some of the scenarios a little bit more fun for me. Yeah. So uh, two more quick things that I've been playing. One of them is, again, getting into all these card games, especially the ones we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Ashes Reborn and Sky Terror Horde reminded me that I should probably play Keyforge Adventures again. And I <laughs> I played it solo and it's really good solo. Like I know we gave that game some flack multiplayer, especially the first scenario, but that's the only yeah. one I played. I didn't get to the second scenario yet. But solo, that first scenario is really good. And I think with a couple of tweaks, basically just 
playing two solo games, kind of like what you're doing in Ashes Reborn. Like you yeah. each have your own battle line in front of you. I think that game would be perfectly fine as a multiplayer. You double the health and all that. You just do the same things you did with Ashes. Um, yeah, where yeah. Each person has their own private area, and I think that game will work just fine. So yeah, no, I had a lot of fun playing Keyforge Adventures, and then I bought a game. I don't, you, nobody ever responded to me when I told you guys I bought it, so I don't even know if you, you realize it. But I bought uh, the new pandemic game, Star Wars: The Clone Wars. Oh well, yeah, I already have the World of Warcraft one. That's pretty similar. Oh, I didn't realize you had that one. Yeah, somebody from the Discord just sent me a copy. It was really, really nice of them. So I've, I've just got it. It isn't is not similar. Okay, yeah, I had heard it was similar, but like I said, I, I looked at a little bit of Colin's uh, playthrough, but I didn't go too deep. You mean like the Clone Wars one, right? The Clone Wars, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Well, so first of all, I think it was 70 bucks originally when it came out at Target. I, I price-checked it when I was there the other day. I'm like, you know, if it's 70 bucks, I'm not getting it, but no, $30 on sale. Nice. So, <laughs> like, I was like, all right, yeah, for 30 bucks, I definitely want to check it out, so I bought it, and I've only played it once so far, but... It's an interesting take on things. First of all, there's a lot more mission variety than there is in the World of Warcraft version of it. There's like a huge, thick mission deck. Now, I don't know how different they really are. You go to a planet, you're trying to hit a certain target number or whatever. But the the more interesting thing about the game is it's the hand management portion. So you're not drawing cards and discarding cards the way you do in normal pandemic games. You have basically four different types of cards and then these special cards. One of them is one type of trooper and one is a different type of trooper, but they both do the same thing. They add one damage to what you're doing. So when you're going to like clear enemies, the way you do it is you roll a dice and it has like one to th- or zero to three hits on it. And then you could take some damage yourself, which means you discard cards from your quote unquote mm-hmm. hand. But you can boost your action with one of these two type of troopers, but you have to pick one. So like the red troopers or the attacky troopers and the purple ones are like the stealth ones or whatever. So you pick all the purple ones or all the red ones and you tap as many as you want. And that adds to your attack value. So that's one type of card. Another one is armor. So when you would take damage, instead you could exhaust this armor card to prevent yourself from having to discard any of your cards. And then the last one is a movement booster. So instead of moving just one space, you could exhaust it when you move to move an extra space. So there's basically just those four type of cards. And then there's another, the fifth type of card, I guess, is similar to in Pandemic. You have those cards where you discard to like take two extra actions or do something else. So they're they're those type of cards or, or destroy two enemies. But every character's got unique powers and they could be stuff like exhaust cards to defeat enemies up to two spaces away or whatever else. So they're interesting special powers as well but basically you're going around you're taking care of these quests and then at the end you have a big boss fight at the end um and there are four different bosses that come with it uh like i said plenty of different scenarios i've only played the basic you know boss they recommended but i had a lot of fun playing it it was a little longer than i would have liked it to be and i did do like one difficulty level up and i do feel like every well i know you just add more missions for higher difficulty so you're just adding time so That's unlike, not my favorite way to do difficulty. <laughs> no, no. So basically, you know, you have three missions for a basic game. I played with four missions, but, you know, you can go up to five, six missions. But again, every mission, you're like running around the board to like complete these missions at these specific spaces. So, yeah, the way they scale difficulty, I think, was a little off. But the gameplay is fun, and I still enjoyed what I was doing. And I could 
see scaling difficulty in other ways because they have that same track where you're drawing a certain number of cards at the end Mm -hmm. of the round. Just start with that higher up rather than doing it that way. So there are other ways to do it that aren't going to lengthen the game. They don't have it in the rule book, but if you're willing to to play with that a little, I think there is a sweet spot there for how you can do difficulty a little differently. So those are the games I've been playing. So that's cool. I, I did uh you know, pandemic games are pretty hit or miss for me, but I did enjoy the World of Warcraft, or maybe it's just Warcraft, I don't know if it's World of <laughs> but I did enjoy, enjoy the Warcraft one pretty well. So yeah, I'll I'll give it a try. I like Star Wars. I'm not, well, I, I, and I, you I like dice rolling. Play. Sometimes. <laughs> depends on the dice and the rolling but sometimes oh you know what i just realized uh before we go anymore uh we never thanked our amazing patrons hey hey patrons uh, this, this week i'd like to thank joellen shendy dungeon bones brian hand randy wyatt and steven spencer joellen shendy dungeon bones brian hand randy wyatt steven spencer thanks to all of you uh, if you don't know we have a patreon at patreon.com slash one stop uh, at this point, there are like 30, 35 bonus videos there. You can't see anywhere else. We also have previews of our main videos. If you like, want to watch my uh, Arkham Horror, Mike dies in a casino uh, video early, you can go watch <laughs> that. Yeah. And besides that, just if you like helping the channel, even if you don't want the extra stuff, uh, that's how we are paying to go to Gen Con this year so we can cover games there. That's how we uh, yes, pay for new equipment. For the second like, year Steve in a row. You just had to get a new computer and all this crazy well, stuff. Well, and I need a new computer also, actually, yeah. because the battery yeah, on mine died. So, yeah, it, it takes a lot of tech and uh, subscription services and stuff to make what we make, and we appreciate the help. But, of course, you can also just subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the streaming channel, go review the podcast, wherever you're listening. All that stuff helps as well, so thanks. Yeah, thank you, everybody. All right, well, let's get into Ares Expedition Crisis which is the solo co-op version of Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. So I will do... Well, no, no, no. So hold on. Don't say that because the base game has a solo mode and a co-op mode. This right. is a alternate solo yes. co-op mode that we think is better. And, <laughs> Can and I just spoil that? <laughs> yes. And it's an expansion as well that comes with two other expansions. No, no, no. So hold on, hold on. I, I, I'm pretty sure that in retail they are separate. It was only a Kickstarter special box because they uh yeah they okay. sent us a review copy of the expansion which is as peter said uh like the milestone expansion which is only for competitive and this uh upgraded action like phase cards that can be used for solo co-op or competitive but yeah so the crisis if you're if you're buying it after the fact now the kickstarter is done it is a single box let me see how much it costs if you want to talk about like the theme peter go ahead yeah, yeah, yeah. So I will get into the theme of the crisis expansion. Anyway, so emergency broadcast. I'm not going to read all this because it is like two pretty long paragraphs. People of Mars, our world is in crisis. This morning, October 3rd, 2775, a Class C asteroid of unprecedented size collided with comet C2214B1 and changed trajectory. Ah, yes. Two hours ago, it impacted our planet, our planet, 50 miles. Planet. Planet. <laughs> Uh, 50 miles south of VM. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. The asteroid's descent ripped a hole in the atmosphere and blah, blah, blah. You could see bad things happen. But this is the best part. The second paragraph. People of Mars, I urge you not to panic. Our most powerful corporations have already begun to reconstruct the necessary infrastructure <laughs> to keep this planet livable. The that's, less- that's definitely what I would like to hear. Hey, no <laughs> panic. Corporations are on it. <laughs> uh, Mars was that's, a desolate wasteland when we founded it and we did not give up. 
We made a home where it was once considered impossible. We will not let it be taken from us now. We will do the impossible again. <laughs> don't don't panic. We're going to do the impossible. <laughs> like, the nice. impossible is Peter getting through this uh, narrative text. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, why don't you go over the basics of gameplay? But there's not really a whole lot if you know anything about Ares Expedition. Uh, added. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I will say, like, if you haven't seen or played Ares Expeditions, this is a card-based uh, version of Terraforming Mars. I mean, it still has a board. In a way, it still has pretty much all the stuff that Terraforming Mars has, but in a much smaller package and much more focused on just the cards. So um, each player has a hand of cards in a Race for the Galaxy-style mechanic. You'll each pick an action card, and that will act or not an action card, a phase, and that will activate that phase for all players. But in crisis mode, you get to cooperatively discuss that and like figure it out. And depending on your player count, you might have some phases locked out for you or some phases are chosen as a bonus. That's kind of how they balance the player count. And the phases will be things like you can play green cards, which get your resources whenever you produce, playing red and blue cards to give you like bonus actions or immediate effects, actions like uh, terraforming the planet, which is very important, and producing more resources to pay for everything and getting more cards. Those are the basic actions you can call. And basically the crisis cards that are coming out, this is in the new crisis mode. The planet starts out pristine, the oxygen, the temperature, and the oceans all right where humans need them. And the crisis cards you draw are going to be damaging all these things every turn. And you resolve them and get rid of them by building or playing the right types of cards. So, you know, we're going to be talking about putting out fires in the uh, design discussion. Basically, you're putting out fires... And the idea is you have to survive until these uh, final cards come out that say now you can win the game. And then you have to get the planet all the way up to its pristine condition again. So it's a mix of like survival while putting out fires and then eventually pushing to the the ultimate goal at the end. Now you don't so have to put out all the fires though, right? As well, no, 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 you don't. You don't. Yeah, the, is... the second that the second that the planet is good in all its uh, characteristics and that the the relevant card has been drawn to trigger the ability to end the game. Even if, like, many things are still wrong, as long as it looks nice, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. As long as you get oxygen up, temperature up, and all the oceans flipped up, you're good. You don't have to... Yeah, the world might explode a minute later, right. but you can take a snap snapshot and everything is beautiful. <laughs> yep. We, we send this video back to Earth. We're good. We're doing good over here, guys. No worries. <laughs> All right, so for those who haven't joined us before, what we do here is talk about the top five things about the game, starting with number five, which is our least important thing, going to number one, which is our most important thing. Of course, they're all important, or we wouldn't include them at all. All right, Mike, what is your number five thing you think people need to know about Crisis? My number five is the cooperation in the game. So you can play this solo, uh, but it's also up to, I think, five players, right, Peter? Uh, sure five. Four. Oh, right. Four in Crisis. Yep. There's five. Okay. Five and six um, now with the other expansions. Yes. But Crisis yeah, so, is So I call the cooperation a bit of a mix. You are going to talk to the other players quite a bit, especially when you're picking which actions to play, um, which phases like play for that turn. You might somewhat talk about how you're going to build up. Like, I'm going to go more plants. I'm going to go more heat. Sometimes you get the ability to trade cards, especially if you use, they have like new corporations that bake in more cooperative opportunities, but you don't have to play with those. So yeah, I would, I would say all of that is pretty good. But when you get down to it, and this might not be bad for you, so this might be a full pro for you. When you get right down to it, a lot of the time in the game is spelt, spent kind of hyper-focused on your own stuff, your own tableau, your own combos. And again, that's going to be to your taste. I, I might compare it to something like Spirit Island. Like you'll discuss things sometimes, 
but sometimes you'll just be like, what the heck are my cards doing right now? <laughs> you right. know? So yeah, so that, that might be very much like if you want a fully cooperative all the time game, it could offer that, especially if you use those specific corporations, but it might not live up to that promise. But if you want a game where like you you have your own cool stuff going on and then you also check in with each other, I think it hits that target really well. My point is kind of tagging along with that. It's the action selection in the game. So there are five different phases that you can trigger in this game. You will always be triggering three. Well, I say always, but there are definitely cards in the solo mode, which might make it so you're not triggering three of those phases. But uh, you're typically triggering three. Now, it's interesting the way they do it. They have two different decks. One of them is for solo. And the solo deck has two different phases, like on the two different sides of the cards. And you draw two of those cards. And so basically, you're going to have two phases on one, two phases on the other. You pick which phase you want to use from each of those cards. And then you choose a phase from your own set of five cards that you can do as well. And the only trick to this is the same as regular Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. You can't select for yourself the same phase you chose in the last round. So sometimes they can get kind of wonky and or not wonky, but like difficult to do everything you want to do. And like sometimes it'll come up and like some of the bad stuff that happens would be like draw a card from your phase deck and put it face up and you can't use that card either. So you can't use the one from the last round and you can't use this one. So sometimes, you know, I had a I was just playing before we started today. So that's tell you something about what I feel about the game. So, and it wasn't to remind me how to play because I've been playing the last couple of days. It's uh, so. Uh, <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. That's funny that you say that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It definitely wasn't to remind me. I've literally played quite a bit the last couple of days. So I was just playing. I was going to play with my daughter again, honestly, but then they had to go. So, like, it didn't end up happening. So I just turned it into a solo game. But yeah, so it, it happened earlier where I couldn't do two of the phases I really wanted to do because my cards just turned out that yeah. way and the two cards i flipped up i mean that's a, a different story for a different a different point that i have here but it's fun choosing those phases although i do find that i do the same two or three more often than i do other ones and that might be a preference of mine but because of the fires and the way things work out i think it's hard to choose all some of the phases like the research phase specifically where you're drawing more cards i find that one hard to do because of the momentum and the timing, you just have to keep mm-hmm. going forward. Uh, but I do choose it sometimes, and there are sometimes where, like, that's just what I need to do. I don't have the cards to do what I want to do, so research is the way, uh, the phase I have to choose. But mostly I won't. So, But I do think it's interesting how it scales. So in solo, you, you draw those two cards. In two-player, you draw just one card from a different deck. It doesn't have both choices. It's just going to tell you what phase the AI can do. And in three and four players, you're going to draw a card that tells you which phase you can't select, Mm. which I think is interesting as well. Uh, Four players, you might even select two. I have it in front of me. I can't remember. But either way, so it's it's limiting your options at higher player count games. So basically, you're always going to have like three phases, whether it's two player or solo or three player, for sure. You're always going to have three different phases selected. So I don't know. It's kind of fun. The, The way these cards work also is the phase that you select, you get some kind of bonus for. It might be a discount on the card or it might let you play a second card or whatever else, or it might let you do some of your actions multiple times, but you get some kind of a bonus for it. So I, I just like the way the action selection works and it works really well here too. That's, I think, what makes it a lot different than the original solo co-op mode or at least the original solo mode, you really have a lot more choices for what phases you're going to mm-hmm. do and it makes your tactical decisions, I think, a lot more fun. Yeah, so I'll just jump right in because my number four was the phases. 
And yeah, I agree with everything you said. I do find that we tend to do the same ones a lot. So it can get a bit repetitive, but I think it, and I also felt that way about the solo and co-op in the original version, but I think it's a little bit better here because the cooperation is a little bit better. You can have more characters like kind of that you're working with. Yeah. I mean, in the end, you're never going to get, you know, it was designed clearly first as a competitive game. Sure. And like, you know, Race for the Galaxy, a lot of the meta becomes like, when can I not call a phase? Because I'm pretty sure you're going to call it, you know, and like kind of that second guessing and all that sort of stuff. So clearly that's lost. And this is a competitive mechanic that they're trying to make work. But I think this is the best version of it they've done for the solo co-op. I think it's pretty interesting. I think like Peter said, like I think they, they found a way to balance out the player count in interesting ways. For example, compared to instead that Pandemic game. You're, oh, no, I guess that's not player count. Well, Pandemic always had player count issues. But I feel like this yes. one has nice player count balancing the sort of tack yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're not only uh, resolving the action phase differently, but they actually have like an entire different deck of crisis cards that are rebalanced in terms of their negative effect and how quickly they mess up the planet and how hard they are to get rid of uh, for each player count. So it's really, I haven't seen too many games that did that. Like they have an entire different deck you're playing from for three players or four players instead of like different numbers on them or just being like, ah, whatever it's about the right. They really like went out of their way to make the player count good. So I think the action phase selection is fine. It is still a a competitive mechanic. That's uh, not a perfect fit here, but works pretty well. And the uh, player balancing is pretty good. So I would wonder, and I wouldn't want this to be the base rule, but what if you played it more like the mind? Because the one thing they do specify very clearly is you could talk about anything, like which phases yeah. everybody's going to choose. I wonder if it would be more interesting and in like, oh, I thought you were going to select that phase. You get kind of some of that back. Now, it may make the difficulty too hard, but that's well, what I'm sure, it'd be very tough. You'd have to play on a much easier difficulty, I think. Well, yeah, but I mean, I'd, I think the base difficulty is fairly easy if you've played the game before. And so I think if you played that way, it might add a fun wrinkle and a fun challenge. It may lead to some frustration. I haven't played it that way, but uh, I certainly can't do it solo. But I wonder if that would change things up a little bit. I I do agree. I think it'd be maybe a fun way to change difficulty because actually my number four is the crisis cards themselves. And I am going to talk a little bit about difficulty scaling here as well. Mm. So crisis cards, as Mike said, you're basically flipping one up at the beginning of every turn. It's going to do an immediate effect on you. So you have to do something, discard cards or discard a phase card, whatever else it might be. And then every round, you don't get rid of it. So at the bottom, it tells you how to get rid of it and how many tokens it has on it. Every round, you don't get rid of it. It's going to do something bad, lower the temperature, flip over a tile, or flip over notion tile, lower the oxygen level, whatever it ends up being. So you have to, you're trying to get rid of these crisis cards. So the way difficulty scaling works is you either put three basically blank cards at the beginning of the thing. So you get a little chance to ramp up before you get into the game, which also lengthens the game a little, which is fine if it's your first time playing. I don't have a problem with it. It gives you a little bit of time to get into things before you have to start dealing with these crises. But the way they scale it, The other way is you're going to add an extra crisis token to it and or start with lower like oxygen and and water and flip over tiles at the beginning of the game. It's not really scaled for player count because it basically says add one extra crisis token regardless of player count, which seems kind of weird to me. It uh, I noticed in solo it was quite a bit more difficult because usually you only have one to two tokens on there anyway. Now you're going to two to three, whereas in multiplayer, I feel like you had enough actions to do it. And with other players... 
one extra doesn't seem like it's going to be like the tipping point. Sure. So it seems weird that that was the difficulty scaling, but it works fine. I think that's the only like maybe little misstep with difficulty scaling that they did. I don't think it should be one per player, certainly, but I don't know exactly what it should be. But so there's that. And that's why I was saying maybe if you do a little bit of randomness in there as well, maybe that makes up the difference for um, if you wanted a harder experience. But uh, the one thing about this is uh, it it could be a bad gets worse situation because there are some times where it's like play green cards. Well, if you can't either play that green phase or you don't have any green cards that you want to play, it's a situation where it could get worse and worse. Like, oh my gosh, keep lowering oxygen, keep lowering oxygen. And then when you get to certain levels, then there are these other bad things that come out. Like it says, oh, your oxygen's too low. Now you can't do this. Or now all your cards cost one more. Or now something else happens. So it starts kind of piling on. It makes it so you don't want to go down to those lower levels. But at the same time, it is kind of a piling on mechanic. Now, I found it fun because I've always been able to dig myself out of it, except when I did play solo at that higher difficulty level. That's why I was playing again today. I'm like, all right, I'm going to beat it today. Uh, I I did. Well, uh, I'm kind of getting in my next point. So I'm going to end it there. But bottom line (laughs) is, yeah, the difficulty scaling, the crisis cards, I think is a really clever way to not get in the way. It's really quick to resolve those. Lower this, lower this, draw an extra card, discard two cards, whatever else. It's very quick AI turn. And it lets you get back to playing the game again. All right. Yeah, I guess mine is my number three is fairly similar. It's one specific aspect of kind of the crisis phase, which is the I call it the planetary destruction. So like Peter already mentioned, uh, if the crisis cards stay out and you don't deal with them, you're taking oxygen, you know, temperature, ocean damage. And I call this a pro. And partially that's just comparing it to the previous terraforming Mars solo co-op play in the base game. Because there it was consistent. Like you always needed to uh, get the planets all the way right. Now, you know, there were, if you have enough money in Ares Expedition, you could, even though you only had like plants, you could still do temperature. You know what I mean? So like there were ways to transition if you like went really hard down one side or the other. But I think this one, because the, the planet starts perfect as being, and is being destroyed in different ways each game in different orders each game, certain things might be in more crisis than another based on how the cards come out. Not only how the cards come out, but which ones can you deal with quickly? Maybe in this game, maybe in two games in a row, the same card comes out early, but you get rid of it right away in one game and you can't in the next game. So it, it's one of the things in this new solo co-op mode that I think varies up the what we're going to put talk about, putting out fires. The fires that need to be put out and like the effects they're having on the planet vary greatly from game to game. I mean, well, I shouldn't say greatly. It's still temperature, <laughs> oxygen, yes. and oceans. It's not changing that much. But, like, which one is worst? And, again, because, uh, like Peter said, you're going to suffer these extra negative effects if you let any of them get too far, and that is an instant loss condition if they get really down. So I, I just think it, it gives some variety to the game. It makes, like, staying ahead of the curve and balancing everything and putting the fires out consistently interesting. And again, it's certainly better, at least for me, than the base game. You know, like whether or not it's better than other putting out fire games and crisis management games. I I think it is certainly an improvement over base terraforming Mars Ares Expedition for solo co-op play. Yeah. And my number three is the luck. And this is the only one for me that's kind of a mix. So far, most of Mm -hmm. them have been straight up pros, except for I said, like, I'm not sure of the difficulty scaling in multiplayer. That was the only one that might have been mixed, but I like the crisis cards in general. This one is a a pretty much a mix for me, which is the Mm -hmm. luck. 
uh, involved in the games. Like you said, you're going to sometimes have cards that you can easily deal with, and sometimes you just don't have any of the things you need to deal with it. Now, they mitigate it a little bit, whereas if you get victory points, you can use, like, two victory point chits to remove something. But there'll also be times where you're like, the oxygen doesn't go down at all, and you need it to go down because you have all these plants sitting around, or, like, you have all this heat built up. Now, you can save it. You don't have to, which I think in the base game you do. If you have eight Correct, yeah, you'd have have to to. spend the heat and the plants, exactly. Well, here you don't have to because... Sometimes you just might not be able to do anything because the, the oxygen may be all the way up or the temperature may be already all the way up and there's nothing to do for it. So sometimes I even want to leave those crisis cards out a little bit, let it build up. That way I can put out those fires to raise my terraforming rating, which gets me more money and kind of helps me build my engine. So there's luck that way. There's also luck, uh, like I said, sometimes you need like to play three green cards and for whatever reason, you can't play green cards and it's early in the game and you start getting down this negative cycle of like the game beating you up a little bit. So there's a little bit of luck there, but I also think it's what leads to variety from game to game and makes you think harder and think about, okay, how do I deal with this? All right. I know I'm not going to be able to deal with this challenge. Let me make sure I'm dealing with this, these other two or three or whatever. And like, how do I get myself out of this spiral? Okay. Well, I can't deal with it. So what do I have to do to, all right, Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to save extra money where normally I do something else, but now I'm going to save money. So like you said earlier, I'm going to buy my way out of it, right? I'm going to pay money to raise the temperature or whatever else. Um, so I do think that the, the luck is twofold. It's a little bit of a mixed, probably leaning a little con for me, um, because the, the only frustrating times I've had with the game is where I just felt like there was nothing in my control, right? Like just bad thing after bad thing happened. And I, like, I didn't have the answers and it's like every card that came up, it's like, nope, can't do that. Next one. Nope. Can't do that. All right. Now I got two bad things happening every round. Nope. Can't deal with the third one. Okay. Like what's going on here? You know, like there's only so many victory points you can, you can spend. (laughs) So, um, I mean, I, I fully agree with you at the same time. I will say, I think that is most visible as a potential problem in solo play. Yes. Yes. The moment that you start introducing more hands, yep. varied strategies going on among the players, you're just going to be able to generally address crises on a more consistent basis. Yes, very um, true. But in solo play, fully agree with you. And But you're right, it can be part of the uh, the variety, as it were. My number two is another aspect of the crises. Again, we've talked about it a bit already, but it is how you resolve the crisis cards, how you get rid of them. And this for me is just, well, th- there's kind of some pluses and minuses here. I like, again, the variety compared to base terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition, and just like the variety in tableau building, because while both base terraforming Mars and Ares Expedition have like some fun different like strategies you can go for, sometimes you can feel slightly pigeonholed and feel like you're like going in a similar way each game. I think this having cards are like, hey, you better play some green cards. You better play some earth cards. Like it, it pushes you to play cards in your hand that might not have been as valuable. It yep. pushes you to like reevaluate cards. And then you want to make those cards have worth. So you might build something else. So I think it's pushing you in interesting ways. It, it kind of uh, not elevates the tableau building because in some ways, and this is where the negative is, you might feel like Peter said, the random element, you might feel shoehorned into playing cards. So I think some players might actually like it less because it might feel like it takes away from kind of the purity of the tableau building, like combo building of the game. 
But for me, someone who loves variety and like not following the same strategy and not knowing exactly what I'm going to do and like having a puzzle to like follow in a straightforward way, I think that the crisis cards and how they kind of uh, to resolve them push you in different directions is a mostly a good thing. Yeah. And my number two, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on because we've already touched on it quite a bit. And that's the putting out fires. It's going to be our design discussion. It is one. of, I mean, just know that's what this game is. But we've mentioned it like 50,000 times. But again, as Mike, as you just pointed out, I love the fact that it pushes me to do things I wouldn't normally do. It's like, okay, I got all these cards. I wasn't planning on using these, but now I'm going to have to. Okay, can I build a combo off of that as well? That'll help me like almost balance myself out a little too. Yeah. Because certainly you're going to need to balance, especially in solo. Again, that's most of my experiences. I did play a three-player game, but every other game I've played of this has been solo. So like, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to balance yourself out a little. I think, again, multiplayer, you don't have to balance yourself out as much. You can definitely like have different people going for different types of strategies. But uh, I do like how it pushes you kind of like each round you feel like you have something to focus on while the whole goal at the end of the game is still to build yourself up, build yourself up. Cause you know, at the mm-hmm. end, you're going to have like a lot of things you're going to have to deal with <laughs> all in one round. And so like, you definitely have to keep building throughout the game, but the game kind of pushes you to do that. But I don't know, for me, it, it's very fun putting these fires out is one of the more fun things about this game. For me, mm-hmm. I like Aries by expedition, the, the base game, but for me, this elevates it. It doesn't detract from it. Yeah, and I generally agree, but we'll get more into that. My number one, this is uh, very similar to my number two, and it's related. And it's not unique to Ares Expedition uh, Crisis Mode. It's just Ares Expedition in general. But I find the tableau of building fun. That's my this number is a one, game too. Where, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, you, you're, it's, it's cool. Like, it, it's what you come to Terraforming Mars for, or other games, uh, you know, like Ark Underwater Nova. Cities or Ark Nova. Exactly. Like, it is cool. You put down cards and get new powers. And there are games that have you put down cards and you don't get new stuff. Ares Expedition is not one of those. You know, yes. like generally, I mean, I guess a few cards, but generally speaking, you're getting more income. You're getting a cool new action you can use every once in a while. You're getting a new ongoing power. You're getting like an upgraded version of this phase or an extra bonus, whatever this thing is called, you know, or uh, these five other cards you played over the course of multiple turns because you planned ahead now suddenly get this big bonus because like this card combos off of all of them. So yeah, I, I think if you like kind of in a Euro style building things up, like getting an engine going, getting uh, like seeing your combos come together in clever ways, Ares Expedition continues to have that in the crisis mode. Like I said in my last point, some people could say that it is weakened or watered down slightly by the need to play cards that are going to address the crisis, but it doesn't change the fact that I still think it's, yeah, it's a selling point of the game for better or worse. So Peter, why don't you throw your thoughts in? I mean, that's it. Like the, the tableau building's fun. And you know, you have all these tags on the cards. The tags will sometimes like be important. Like they'll trigger other things on other cards. You'd be able to perform actions where you can build up animals or you build up, you know, microbes or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And instead of in the base game where it's just, you have a bunch of cubes on this thing and it's worth a victory point at the end here, when you, it, you get to whatever the number is, it's like when you get to three plants on this card or three animals on this card, get a victory point at the end of the game, you just get it immediately. And we didn't talk about the victory points a lot so i'll talk about them here victory points in this game are used for two ways number one 
is at the end of any round, you could spend two victory points to remove like a token from those crisis cards to help mm. get rid of those ones that you just can't get rid of any other way. The other thing is some of the more powerful cards in the game have negative victory points on them, yeah. and you can't even play them unless you have victory <laughs> points in your pool. And one of the co-op elements is it is a pool, so all players' victory points are added together. So it is very useful to get those victory points. And actually, at the end of the game, the like after the basically end game is triggered you can turn in those victory points for five money each which i've definitely used to help me like flip over the last couple oceans or whatever else so victory points are actually very useful in the game and it's kind of neat how they incorporated that as well but it's all part of that same engine building thing like at the beginning of the game you're like i can't do anything i'm getting seven money a turn it's not enough i don't have enough to do anything and then like 10 turns later you're like I am king of the world. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, you really do build up and it's pretty quick. It's, you know, what, an hour, hour and a half game, I'd say, on average. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, I mean, for how quick of a time frame it is, you really do get a very satisfying build up during it. So if you can't tell, I'm really enjoying the game. I'm super glad they came up with this crisis mode. Honestly, it's a game that sat on my shelf a lot before we're not big competitive players if you couldn't guess by the one-stop co-op shop moniker but the other part is you know it's just i thought it was a good game before i wasn't Mm. a huge fan of like trying to guess what phases other people were gonna do and like you know double think like that's not my favorite thing i love in this game like trying to figure out what phases i want to do like that was fun for me uh especially in solo but even in co-op it's like okay all right i'll do this phase even though i don't need it but i'll do it because i know it'll help you guys so yeah, no, yeah. all around po- very positive for me. I it it saved this game for me because I don't know how much I would have played it without it. Yeah, and I agree with that. I will say I, I'd still be willing to play this one competitive. I think I liked it competitive a bit more than you did. And you know, one of the other expansions they sent us, the milestones with like these little like short term objectives. I love that kind of stuff, so I think that's cool. But certainly, and I've said this before, I said this back when I previewed the expansion. Um, I, I cannot see a world where I would ever play the base game solo co-op ever again. Right. Even to teach the game. I think I'd still rather play the crisis mode and just play on a really easy difficulty setting. So like it, it varies because uh, the nice thing about the easiest difficulty settings is that um, you get like some null cards for the first several rounds. So like literally nothing bad is happening. You're just building up and playing cards, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. So I think this is definitely for me a pure value add and evolution on solo co-op play yes and it's cool you know it's not going to be i'm still not sure where the game overall is going to land like in our top uh, list at the end of the year for all the games we covered in the year on the podcast it's not necessarily like a top top game for me but i i continue to enjoy it and yeah like like peter said this might save it to stay in our collection and it's certainly the only way or the best way i want to play it without a doubt well i mean i'm not gonna get rid of it that's for sure so it's it's not going yeah, yeah. anywhere i don't know that i would have gotten rid of it anyway but i i just it wasn't getting to the table without the solo co-op mode and sure, certainly sure. if i'm going somewhere and people have either played it or like arc nova but they don't have time for it you know that night or whatever else i think it's a fun substitute hey have you tried the solo co-op mode for aries expedition yet nope all right well let's Let's go ahead and teach it. And just like all co-op experiences, right? It lowers the pressure, lowers the barrier of entry to people. You can help them out when it's their turn, you know, help them learn to play the game and they don't feel dumb. Like they're losing, you know, to somebody at the beginning. And if you do the easy difficulty level, you're not going to lose the game. So it's just like, it just allows you to have fun with it. 
um, yep. and allows somebody to get into it. So, yeah, no, for me, overall, very, very good add to uh, Ares Expedition, which is a game I do like. All right, but let's start talking about putting out fires. So, Mike, controversial opinion. You don't like putting out fires. Yeah, so I don't like put. I, I can put my, my negatives right out there because I've thought about this quite a bit. Yep. There's two things that tend to make me less thrilled about putting out fires, which is, to be fair, a very common thing in solo and co-op games. You know, yep. like, how do you keep the game interesting while you're pursuing a major goal? You can't let them get the major goal right away, you know, but you have to give them choices. How do you give them choices? Oh, the fires versus the main goal. You can't just go full force. You got to deal with this other stuff. And early so, on in our, one of some of our earlier podcasts, we said this is almost a necessary thing in co-op games because you can't necessarily just let people go after the end game. The fires are sometimes what makes it fun yeah, uh, and yeah, yeah. variable as well from game to game. So uh, what's your what's yeah, your uh, so, counterpoint? Well, no, it's, it's not even a counterpoint. It's just th- this is when Mike and my personal taste, I'm not applying it to anybody else, are not going to work as well for putting out fires in your game. The big one is the two steps forward, two steps back syndrome. Yeah. Especially when it's hard for you to actually move the ball forward on your main quest. Classic Pandemic is not 100% guilty of this, but I do feel like it's often kind of guilty of this. You know, same thing with like some of the Forbidden series. You're spending actions to put out fires, but, you know, except for trading cards, which isn't always feasible or possible... You know, you can often just be waiting until the player deck gives you what you need so you can actually, like, feasibly cure a disease or, or actually get one of the treasures in Forbidden uh, Island, for example. And, like, that I don't love because, again, you're, you're sort of making this null progress. You spend your whole turn just getting back to where you were before your turn, and then more stuff happens. Then you spend your whole turn getting back to where you were before your turn, and then more stuff happens. And if I can't, like, actually move the needle on the main quest through my choices, but it's more like... Uh, uh, actually, maybe even a better example than um, I was about to pandemic. say Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, the example you shared, the problem isn't the putting out the fires. The putting out the fires part is fine. The problem you're sharing is you don't have any agency toward moving toward the main well, right, quest. Right, right. So, so if you don't have agency toward the main quest, then the right. fires become feel more repetitive to me. Right, because um, you're. I would say, yeah, yeah. Then you're just you're just trying to neutralize while waiting. It's almost a stall tactic, a delay tactic. Yes. But yeah, no. If you have agency in moving toward the the end quest, yes. the fires aren't the problem. It's yeah, the and, and I would lack say of agency. Even base pandemic is not. It, it pays pandemic. Like you can be putting down the whatever they're called, the center to let you stations. travel better, the research stations. You can be trading frequently and like setting up better like combos of things. So based on the pandemic, that was it okay. And most pandemics afterwards add a lot of stuff to make it more interesting. I think a game that is worse for me, even though I still enjoy it sometimes, is uh, Ghost Stories. Because Ghost Stories, like literally, <laughs> bosses, you know, in the bottom whatever percentage of the deck, wait till then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that is it. Like there is zero that, besides just surviving, there is zero that you are doing that is doing anything like it is literally just a waiting game now do you feel that way about aries expedition because it's the same thing right like you have a certain number of turns before you get to the bottom of the deck and i know why i feel like it's different but do you have a feeling that it's different or the same so so the other thing 
and this is kind of a combo, and Ares Expedition avoids this other one, so I don't mind it. The other thing that can bother me a lot with putting out fires is if I'm putting out fires in the exact same way the first turn of the game as I am in like the last couple turns of the game, that I find very dull. And that often comes down to some sort of leveling up mechanic. Yes. So like Pandemic kind of doesn't have that because curing diseases means you get rid of the cubes differently. And having the research stations means your movement puzzle is a little, more, a little bit more economic. And knowing that you've already cured red changes the value of cards in your hand. Now suddenly reds are like more free for movement and stuff. So yep. Pandemic isn't, it, it's still, it's not great, but like ones that I like a lot better. The loop gives really cool like action upgrading as you go. So you're doing yes. more neat stuff and better combos as you go. Uh, Ares Expedition, what I think is really clever is that to put out fires you level up, you build your tableau. So like, I don't waste an action to cure the disease. I am spending my resources to play, hopefully this green card that I was hoping to play anyway, and that at least somewhat gels with my strategy. And at the very least gives me some resources I need for all my uh, produced actions. So I think like whenever fires can be put out through your action, through, through the, through stuff you want to do otherwise anyway. You know what I mean? Or when putting out fires directly levels up your character. So you're doing cooler things and like what you're doing in the game. I think when that happens, it's fun. As another example, one of my favorite games of all time, bullet in a way, clearing the bullets from your board is putting out fires. But what do you do whenever you clear the bullets? You send them at the bad guy. Yeah. You punch the bad guy with him. So inherently clear, you know, clear in that one, it's interesting because battling the fires is achieving the main objective. You know what I mean? So I think like there's lots of ways to play around with it. But yeah, if, if you have the double whammy, if your game is just a waiting game, you can't directly make choices to pursue the uh, the main objective. And if at the same time you have no variety in how your fires are being put out, that's that's a kiss of death for me. Those are the kind of games that I just won't review anymore. Like, oh, I don't even want to play them. If I like read your rule book when somebody sent them to me and I'm like, nope, 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 that's nope. I don't want this at all. Get get, get away from me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't find that to be the case too often, though. Like you said, most games don't do that. I mean, the one that sure. got boring and repetitive for me was Castle Panic. Uh, and I think Ghost Stories has a little bit of this, too. Robinson Crusoe, you level up and you're buying new stuff. But for those games, like like Ghost Stories, yes, you can get tokens and more of this and more of that. But then you also spend them. So they go away. So yeah. Like, after I spend them doing some really cool thing, a really big thing, I'm really back to where I was before I got those tokens. Um, And so it's the same thing with... Castle Panic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're just killing dudes as they come in, but you're drawing cards, and then you're just discarding the cards. You don't level anything up. You don't get better cards as the game goes along. You're getting the same cards over and over again. And maybe, like, I think the the tower changed it a little bit, where you got spells, and maybe it was like... yeah, and. Jason did a review recently of like a bunch of the expansions and it seems like they added a lot of cool stuff, but certainly base base vanilla castle panic. There's not a lot varying it up to make it interesting. Right. Yeah. You're just literally playing the cards you have. Okay. I got somebody green in the forest. Well, all right. Which of the three things green things in the forest do I want to hit? But like, yeah, for the most part, you're going to play out your hand of cards every turn. Now that could truly be said for Marvel champions as well. You're playing out your whole hand, but you're not playing them all for the card effect. And that was the mm-hmm. other thing that bothered me a little bit about um, what was the one we just did. We just uh, Ashes Reborn. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm, yes, 
I have a lot of choices, what I do with my dice, whatever else. But I really did feel like most turns, I was playing out my entire hand of cards anyway. Mm-hmm. It was just a sequencing in the order of which I did so. So I do like something there to... And that's what I like about Fires, is like, uh, if you go to Sky Terror Horde we just reviewed, based on what enemy comes out, based on how the minions are doing, based on whatever else is going on, I'm going to pick different cards in my hand. It's not just going to be whatever I can afford to pay for this turn. And there is something with the, you know, money carrying over from turn to turn as well. But the fires change what I'm doing. Same thing with Ares Expedition. And I like the fact that, like you said, when they are different from the main goal and you have to make that tough choice. Okay, my main goal is this, but really do it. How bad is this fire? Do I need to put it out mm-hmm. right now? Can we wait till your turn? Can we wait till the next person's turn? Sometimes we want that fire to burn a little bit so my action efficiency becomes better later on. Pandemic. Hey, I already cured red. Let me wait till there's two or three cubes there. I'm not going to clear it out when there's one cube when I can, for one action, clear out all the cubes in that one space. So let me, let's wait a little bit till that builds up a little bit. So I do like how you feel like you're getting better with stuff and it changes like what you want to do for the turn and how you want to do it and the sequencing of things and stuff like that. So I do like how these fires change how you can do stuff. Even in ashes reborn. Yes. I'm going to play out all my cards, but they're going to be in a different order based on what is going on in front of me. Like, uh Oh, I was going to play this thing and build up this really big monster, but there's this thing that's about to attack me sitting in front of me. I got to go take care of that right now before he blows up my board. Well, and I think Ashes Reborn also has a fun way of avoiding the null state and the lack of forward progress that putting out too many fires can feel. Because in that one, every time you defeat one of the aspect cards, you deal one or two damage to the boss. Yep. So you are still you you are inexorably advancing towards progress, regardless of which way you go. Now, if you if you go straight for the boss and hit him with a big attack, that's more damage. But you've left the fire. Yep. If you go for the fire, you're doing less damage. So I think it's it's got the nice choices still, but with the with that consistent momentum that I at least for my taste appreciate in those kind of games. Yeah. So is there any advice for designers as far as fires? I mean, I guess my advice is if your game seems boring and and the goal no no, no you know what happens. We you design I, I games. Do, there do. are many stages of games where you're like, I need something here. I think the fires can give you a little bit more excitement, even give players guidance a little bit. It's like, yeah. yeah, so one of the games I could think of where it was a huge first turn problem for me, at least anyway, was an old game where you're on the submarine and you were gnomes on a submarine. It was a fantasy. Red November. Red November. November. Right. Turn one, there were no fires on the board. And so like, Literally, it's like, what am I going to do? I don't know. I'll move one space to waste some time. So that way some fires start coming up, right? Or maybe I'll go get some equipment, but then it's going to be the same every game. So why is that step even in there, right? Like if I'm just literally going to do the same thing every game, like put some fires on the board at the beginning of the game. Give me something to think about. Make Because yeah. fires do vary the game from game to game quite a bit. I mean, even in games like Flashpoint Fire Rescue, wherever those big areas of fire are, really make you rethink how you're going to play the, your turns. So in that game, it's literally a fire. But uh, I mean, in all these games, like it's just, I don't know. The fires are what make it fun for me in a lot of these games. That's why I thought it was interesting when you said you don't like, I, I agree two steps forward, two steps back. 
as long as you are progressing yourself to make it later on, maybe where it's not two steps forward, two steps back. And I think it's actually almost a problem if it is two steps forward, two steps back, because then you can get in a null state for a long time. Right. I actually almost like three steps back and you can only take two steps forward. You know what I mean? That- if, if I level up, so I'm cooler having done that. You know yes. what I mean? Um, like I've, I've, I, I staunched the blood flow a bit. It's still getting worse because I like tension increasing in games. I, I want to have the greatest feeling of crisis at the end as we barely squeak out a win or get so close to winning and still fail. Yep. Yeah, I, I guess the big advice I'll say, and it kind of goes with what I already said, if you're going to do a game where it's like kind of about putting out fires and, and maybe waiting until you can succeed, try to do something fun with the fires. Try to have some sort of leveling up or reward system based on the fires try to have the fires in some way be the way you accomplish your main objective, or at least like in ashes, like have sort of an alternate way to help you toward the main objective. You know, like uh, one of my, another one of my favorite games, Warp's Edge, the fires you're putting out are killing these random minion jobbers as you wait for like the, you know, the real boss to be available to fight. But that's also how you level up. That's how you deck build. You know yep. what I mean? That's how you, that's how you put stuff in your bag. So yeah, just something along those lines. I'm trying to remember. Um, the thing I liked least about Return to Dark Tower that we played was the fire putting out, which was funny because that's literally all your character did while Jerry and I were gallivanting around having cool at-base combats, which I, right. thought, I thought the combat system was great. Did you get anything in that one for doing the skulls? I don't remember. Not really, but it gets you to different places where you can buy stuff. But there, That's true. But there it was the same. Not always, because there were ways to permanently level up, buying equipment, yes, stuff like yes, that. yes. Um, and it wasn't necessarily permanent because you could lose that stuff, but it was a lot of buying more troops, which end up dying anyway, and, and a lot of yeah. stuff. I, I think that is like the game is definitely fun, but I sure. didn't necessarily feel the progress. Well, no, because you do level up your, you do have things on the board you can level up too that are well, unique no, I, to your I character. felt the progression in that game, and I liked parts of the game. I think all the stuff connected to the skulls was inherently kind of dull for me. I feel like that's what you do on your way to doing more cool stuff, though. Well, yeah, and and the thing is, like, the skulls aren't the only fire. The monsters are also a fire to put out, right? Yes, yep. And the monsters are fun. The combat system is fun. What you get from fighting monsters is fun. Going into, like, dungeons and doing little mini quests is fun. And I think, like, some of the side quests would also have, like, ongoing negative effects until you resolve them, which is also a fire. So, yeah, I I think that one is interesting in that it has a bunch of fires to put out. And none of them are necessarily like must do right away fires. Yeah, I was about but, to say, I've never lost to the skulls. So I don't like, yeah. and I think they realize that too. So I think the skulls are just there. Like if you literally just like ignore it. Yeah, exactly. If you literally just like, you might have to do it once every like five turns or something. But beside that, for the most part, I don't think you're really losing yeah. the skulls, at least on base difficulty, what we've played. Sure, they, sure. They, they but, don't, but, but again, at least. Uh, sympathetically i know you didn't really mind that much but watching you play i was like this is so boring because <laughs> for for those uh just to clarify when we played like a three-player game again jerry and i were like fighting 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 doing cool quests peter was literally like his character power was to put skulls away faster 90 percent of his turns were just like move and do some skulls well, and now that's why when you guys, like, tried to put skulls away, too, I was like, no, don't do that. That's, like, literally the one that's thing I can job. do. That's my that's one thing. Literally, I got <laughs> one thing I can do. <laughs> like, yeah. And then, you well, because of that, when we get cool equipment and stuff, 
It's like nobody wanted to give it to me because I wasn't doing anything. So it's that's like, right. It's so like, you're not going to fight Peter. You don't need a sword. It was almost a, a zombicide situation where it's like, oh, that's a good comparison. Yeah, where yeah. like you guys got really powerful and leveled up, and I was just sitting here at level zero at the end of the game, and it's like, well, now I can't fight even if I wanted to because everything's way out leveled me. So yeah, but we should review that game at some point, especially with some. I know of the we expansions. need to play it more. Jerry needs to bring it over again. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'll, if I ask them to leave it he would um and we get some some plays in all right but that's it i think thanks for joining us mike any any final words of uh anything (laughs) yeah i mean honestly when i think of putting fires out in games it is a knee-jerk reaction to be like i don't want to play that game in general but this conversation reminded me that most games get it right in most ways and it's really like a very small subset of games that actively activates like my anger <laughs> towards some types of fire putting outing, you know? Sure. So this was good. This I feel like me, that uh, spill game probably like seemed to piss you off. Oh, that, that one was, that one had other issues too, but yes, that, that was, that was not my favorite, at least in the form I played. I only played a prototype. I've heard the final game is pretty good. So cool. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us and we will see you in two weeks. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey, Mike. Yeah. This girl is on fire. I thought you were going to sing This Girl is Poison. I mean, that, that girl is poison. Yeah, that's different. Juke, 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 juke. Uh.